Okay, so today's session is going to be called um, 7-11, from 7-11. An idea behind this particular teaching, session, preaching, acrobats that I might do today is really based on uh, a Bible verse that I'm going to share with you all, right? So the series in April that we're um, talking about is Champions for Christ, and again, the title is 7-Eleven. Now, 7-Eleven, for those who know, is 7-Eleven is an international convenience store. You find them in the States, you find them in Japan, you find them in random places around the world. It's got a famous logo. It's got a big seven and the word 11 behind, um, beside it. When you go inside the store, no matter where you go in the world, it's clean, it's tidy. You know everything's kind of set. Irrespective of the location, you kind of would know where to go. And the reason why the store is called 7-Eleven is because it opens from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. There you go. Okay, we've got you talking today. Okay, good. So um, the question is this. Straight away, I want you to ask yourself this. What does your life look like from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m.? If someone was to walk into the store, which is your life, what would it look like? Would it look tidy? Would it look clean? What would be your reference point to what life looks like? On that note, I want us to, uh, to look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 to 11. Now, the idea, guys, is, 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 is this. Now, as, as you may know, I have a thing, a very strong thing, concerning translations. Last week, my favorite translation was Amplified. This week, it's changed already. Pray for me. So from verse 7 to 11, Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to read from a translation called the Waste Translation. Okay, it says this. But whatever things we were to be a gainful asset... These things I have considered a loss when it comes to my acquisition of Christ. And still, so consider them. Yes, indeed. Therefore, at least even I am still setting all things down to be a loss for the sake of of that which excels all others, which is my knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord which I have gained through experience. Listen to that. Gained through experience. For those for whose sake I have been caused to forfeit all things, and I am still counting them dung, in order that Christ I might gain. Yes, in order that I might, in the observation of others, be discovered by them to be in him, not having as my righteousness, that righteousness which is of the law, but that righteousness which is through faith in Christ, that righteousness which is from God on the basis of faith. Yes, for his sake, I have been called to forfeit all things, and I count them but dung in order that I might come to know him in an experiential way and to come to know experientially 
the power of his resurrection and a joint participation in his sufferings being brought to the place where my life will radiate a likeness to his death. If by any means I might arrive at that goal, namely the resurrection from among those who are dead. What should the store of our lives look like? In other words, how should we be functioning as Christians? And I want to use my brother Scott as my first illustration. Nah, not for that, not for that. Just the chairs. Okay. As Scott brings on the chairs, I want you to engage with the question. What should the store of our lives look like? How should we be functioning? For example, if you were to go to Nando's and you ordered and you got to the till and they said to you, okay, they offered you a KFC menu, you'd be very confused. You would say, yes, this is chicken, but this is the wrong chicken for the wrong shop. Nando should not be providing me this. You would find that very odd. Our reference point to what our lives look like has to be the resurrected Christ. I'm going to say that again. Our reference point, your reference point, my reference point, has to be the resurrected Christ. If that is not the case, then the pastor will be your reference point. Then the speaker will be your reference point. Then the brother or sister in the Lord will be your reference point. Then your mum will be your reference point. Your dad will be your reference point. And these are good. These are good. But they're not best. Last week, we celebrated Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I don't want everyone to just look at that situation that day and think, oh, yeah, that was Easter last week. Okay, if I'm young, that means I've got one more week on holiday. Let's not look at Easter as just another day. Let's not look at Easter as another event. Easter changed everything. I'm using an illustration. I want you to capture this. It's the hardest thing to explain the Trinity sometimes. I'm going to try my best. Scott represents Jesus. Praise God. The Son, the Spirit, the Father. I hope you catch all of this. The Bible says, unless a grain of wheat shall fall upon the ground and die, it remains but a single grain. But we thank God that Jesus, the grain, died. So in the natural, if a seed dies, it begins to germinate, it begins to grow. Now, I want you to know the beauty of this. When Jesus died on the cross, I would tip Scott back, but I won't, right? <laughs> when Jesus gave his life to Christ, when Jesus gave his life for us, because God so loved the world, I need you to capture what this actually means. Scott, just stand up for a second and just, just walk off the stage. Yep. His death represented this. Scott, come back in the stage. His resurrection, oh, his resurrection is huge. When he raised from the dead, you raised as well. Do you know what that means? That means this. Now that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, 
Because you believe, you're seated in him too. You are part of the family of God. There's a word called, forgive, the, forgive me for the pronunciation, per, perichosis, right? The idea is that it is the love dance of God. It is the love dance of God. When, 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 when Jesus walks and talks and, and, and ministers, it's like he's doing a, a wonderful dance. Your life is supposed to look like that too. Not in your own strength, but in the reality that you're in him. Thank you, Scott. What do I mean by this? Frequency. We have been called to continuously hear the frequency of God. And when you are hearing the frequency of God, that is the moment you realize who you are. And irrespective of where I go, in the reality of who I am, Christ is seen. The store of your life is supposed to look like the resurrected Christ. So here's the question. Here's the wonderful question. How? This is all well and good. I understand he raised from the dead, but that was him. He's over there. How, how, can, how can this happen for me? Is there, is there some bananas there? <laughs> now, you, you may think to yourself, how is this guy going to connect bananas to a sermon? This is ridiculous. You know the beautiful thing about walking with God? It's different to education. In education, you have to attain information, bring it into your head, be it examinations or, 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 or coursework. You have to take the information that you've learned, augment it in a particular way based on the question that is asked in order to give an answer that the examiner wants to show you to prove what you've understood. So you get a degree, you get a, you get, um, a GCSE, you get an A-level based on um, taking information that wasn't getting information that is external to you, bringing it into you and showing that you understand. That is not the same with Christ. You are not called to get information to be something that you are not. With the Christian, it's different. With the Christian, you're not trying to be something you're not. You're realizing who you are already. It's very similar these set of bananas here. Now, on these bananas, it says loved, forgiven, blessed, child of God. The significance of ensuring that the life store, the 7-Eleven store of your life looks like Christ, the significance is keep your eyes on Jesus. Specifically, the resurrected Christ. Andrew, how does that look like practically, though? What am I supposed to do? Maybe I'm young. Maybe I'm older. What does that look like? This is what it looks like. It looks like you taking your time, coming to the Word of God, even though you don't feel loved. 
even though you don't feel like you've been that faithful, even though you may feel, oh, I don't deserve God's love, even though many other people are saying things contrary to what God says about you. And sometimes we are our own worst enemy. Sometimes we are thinking so negative that what God is saying and, and Christ being risen from the dead doesn't really mean anything at that moment of time. But I tell you this, when you engage with the word of God, you realize if you just engage for long enough, you realize that the skin of the emotions that you were operating in, the frustrations that you were operating in, the anxieties that you were operating simply covered up who you really were in the first place. If the fruit of the banana represents you being a child of God, then here's the pro biggest problem. The biggest problem is this. Every day, you're going to have to wake up and make sure you do the peeling. You're going to have to get into the Word. There's no getting out of this. You're going to have to give thanks. But Pastor Andrew, I don't want to give thanks. Why am I giving thanks for? Things are terrible. You're thinking in the natural. You don't give thanks based on your experience. You give thanks based on what he's done. Fundamental, root one. God, it's been a bad day. It's been a bad week. It's been a bad month. Someone died. Someone's ill. Someone doesn't like me. I have no friends. I feel lonely. But yet, he's still seated on the throne. You have to engage with this truth. You have to be thankful. And there's a beautiful word that I love to use. Even though all those things may be my experience, nevertheless, your word says I'm loved. Your word says that Christ is risen from the dead. And if he's risen from the dead, we need to put this together, guys. If he has been risen from the dead, then the question is, what's the significance of this? The significance of, this is, of, of it is this. He's risen from the dead. He's ascended. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. You have believed in him. Since then, the moment you did believe, you received his life. Now, the biggest problem is this. The past. Bless you, bro. The past is your biggest problem. Because with the past, say, for instance, you're used to having some type of disability. The disability doesn't have to be physical. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's how you connect with people. Maybe it's because you don't connect with people. Maybe it's your anger. Maybe naturally, you're just a liar. Maybe naturally, you just like to steal. Maybe you're naturally, you're just a fornicator. Whatever the natural thing is, there's always going to be moments in life when life provokes you to be who you were, even though you know the God who set you free. We have no more excuses to be upset, to be frustrated, to be bound with who we think we are outside of who God says we are. Everyone has been called 
to remind themselves the significance of the resurrected Christ. Because he's resurrected, it means so much. It means you're forgiven. But you know what people don't often talk about with, with forgiveness? Yeah, you're forgiven, but it doesn't mean you're forgiven. Now continue doing whatever you want. I'll keep on forgiving you. Just be who you are. That's the problem. The fact that he's risen, the who you think you are has changed. And now, whatever your name is, whatever this is your situation is, now you are new in him. And if you're new in him, you have new abilities. You have no more limits. The Bible talks about, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When was the last testimony that any of you had to prove that to be true? Each and every one of you have been called to reveal the real you. And the biggest issue, the biggest challenge is sometimes is fear. Sometimes we're scared to find out what is the new me capable of? What is the new me able to do? Can, I, can the new me love the unlovable? Yes. Can the new me forgive the unforgivable? Yes. Can the new me speak on a stage in front of X amount of people even though naturally I wouldn't want to do that? Yes. Can the new me speak to an unbeliever in the middle of the road, not know anything, and speak words of life into his life? Yes. Do I have to be a particular age? No. Do I have to be a particular sex? No. Do I have to be a particular height? No. All you have to do is realize that Christ is in you. That's it. I sat there and I thought to myself, my goodness. I'm reading Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. I'm thinking to myself, God, how is it possible? Is it, is it true that this is possible? Now, I'm not saying that we're perfect. We're not perfect, but we are on a road of being perfected. And in that pursuit of walking that road of perfection, which is relationship with Christ, there are going to be challenges. There are going to be obstacles, guys. It's going to happen. But don't ever think for a second that an obstacle, a challenge, is a reason why you should give up and give in to the ways of the old. When you're truly functioning in Christ, you will realize that every obstacle, every issue, every challenge is simply an opportunity for Christ to reveal that you are victorious. So there shouldn't be any losses in Christ if you're sharing in that reality of being in Christ. I'll be honest with you. Christ in you is the most important thing. And we can sing it until the cows come home. But I've come to a conclusion that yes, Christ in you is the main thing. But how does Christ in me become revealed? And I realized this. 
He is revealed when each day I dedicate myself and say, it, I will not rest. I won't leave this house until I've engaged you to some type of level. Psalms 100 verse 4 to 5 says this. It says, and his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. You know what's really interesting about that? Thanksgiving can be done in the natural. Anyone right now can give thanks to God. Anyone. If you know him, you can give thanks. Andrew, give me an example. He died for your sins. He's raised from the dead. He's in me. Oh, that's great. That's free. You know the beautiful thing about praise? The Bible talks that, says that, you know, Praise, we thank God based on what he's done and we praise him based on who he is. Let's go a bit deeper. You ready? It's true. Praising God is based on who he is. It's the names of God. Bless his holy names. But check this out. Praise really at a heart level is the initial response to the spirit of God. I can say this in my prayer room. I say, Lord, I just want to thank you that you're Jehovah Jireh. And I want to thank you that you're my provider. I want to thank you that you are my shepherd. Technically, that's called praising God. But if I'm not saying it from the place of at least initially responding to the spirit of God, it's not really praise, it's thanksgiving. So praise really isn't about ultimately, not, it's not really about what you say. It's about where you're saying it from. And the next level from praise is worship. Worship goes beyond just singing on stage. Worship goes beyond just singing at home. What worship actually is, is, is a heart that is surrendered, filled with the Spirit. There is nothing else more important. There is such a union, a oneness, a connection that from <coughs> that reality, from that reality, whether you're chopping the food, cleaning a baby, <coughs> doing homework, worship. Think about that. Ultimately, we are called to worship God. When you are filled with the Spirit, and that's ultimately where we're going with this, when you are filled with the Spirit of God, God is in control. So the question is this, how to keep him in control? How is this possible? Why do I need to? Why? This is why. Because in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, 11, Paul is saying, listen, I want people to see my store and say, wow, this, this isn't a normal store. This life that I'm seeing, this isn't a normal human life. Everything he's doing, how he's communicating to me, his heart, everything is righteous. Let me break down the word righteous. Righteousness is having right standing with God. Now, the beautiful thing about right standing with God, it's one level of righteousness, but the second level of righteousness is the ability to do right. So let's put these two things together. You have right standing with God. You are on the same level as God. And with that righteousness, you're supposed to have relationship. Stay with me now. Let's go back into the natural without naming names. I could name family members. I won't, they're watching. 
There are people who are married. Based on them being a husband and a wife, they are in relationship. However, just because they are in relationship doesn't mean they are in communion. It doesn't mean that they have fellowship. So true, you have right standing with God. You have relationship with God. But here's the question, are you participating in the relationship? Your participation in the, in the relationship is what makes it, uh, the best word I can describe is, is uh, your participation in a relationship with God is what allows you to receive God's love continuously. It's all well and good saying that you know God, but let's add something here. Don't be happy just to say that you know God on an intellectual level, but be, be happy to say that I know God and God is being known through me. And if he's not being known through you, don't worry, it's not condemnation. And I'm not preaching from my perfect reality either. But what I am preaching about is the call that we've been invited to operate from. No one's saying, oh my goodness. There's different ways you can go about using the word of God. You can use the word of God and live it based on principles. I've been working with some young people and these young people said to me, Andrew, I want to be motivated. I want to be disciplined. So as a result, I had to be forced to read these discipline books. And there's so many, check them out on Amazon. There's too much. And after reading a few, the best ones, I realized they're biblical principles. But the writers, the authors weren't Christians. And I realized, whoa, you can take the principles of the word of God and it will still work, believe it or not. And I stood there when I realized this, I thought, wow. We can teach principles. I can give you Philippians 4, um, verse 6. I can tell you, be anxious for nothing. Try it. I can tell you that the love of money is the root of all evil. I can tell you the principle of lean not on your own understanding. I can tell you these principles and you can try to apply them. But if I tell you the truth, ultimately, the word of God, when you're reading it, you have to come to the point of, I can try to apply this right now, but realize this, brothers and sisters, the ultimate aim is for you to realize that outside of the reality of me in Christ, this principles that I'm operating in is simply good information to carry, but the issue is the old me is still walking. Don't load yourself up on principles, but be provoked when you read this word. Because ultimately, the word is ultimately trying to say to you, yeah, these are good principles, try to apply them, but you have the life of Christ. Come back, give thanks, give praise. Get into that place of worship again. You can't do this based on just good will. There has to be discipline. I just heard someone from the side go, Discipline, the horrible words. But the reality is this. Let me defend the word of discipline for a second without going into religiousness. If I told you 
that each and every one of you wake up with potentially your spiritual eyes closed. And I told you, it is you have been called to be disciplined enough to spend time with God so that those eyes can be opened. Could you, can you now see the importance of discipline? It's not discipline who we're serving, but we have to use the tool of discipline to keep our eyes open, to keep it looking at the life, the light of Christ. John chapter 1 verse 4 says that Jesus Christ is the, he, he, in him was life, and in that life was the light for all mankind. Do you know, on a science level, I am assuming that everyone's eyes are working, majority, you know, everyone, everyone's working, right? Okay. Here's an interesting thing about your eyesight. If there are no lights in this building and it's pitch black, even though your eyes have the capacity to see, you won't be able to see anything. Did you know that? Have you tried it before? Open your eyes in a pitch black room, it looks like your eyes are still closed. But you can see when there's light. So what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say this. At the forefront of your day, or in your evening, or in your afternoon, I'm telling you this. You have to remind yourself that Jesus Christ has risen. Why? Because the risen Christ is the light for mankind. That light gives you eyes to see. It sounds so simple. How could just reminding myself on the resurrection be so important? I tell you this. I know people who have revelations about God for days. And when you listen to them, it's like, whoa, wow, that's a great revelation. That's amazing. Until one moment, the Lord said to me this. It's what you do with the revelation that induces transformation. I'll say that again. It's what you do with the revelation that causes transformation. If you just acquire revelation, you're listening to me, you're listening to Pastor Colin, you're listening to Pastor Scott, you're listening to Pastor Claudette, you're listening to whoever you're listening to, and it's the word of God that has been preached and taught accurately, and you're receiving it, you're hearing revelation. But the question is, what are you going to do with the revelation that you're hearing? If you just acquire it and put it in your pocket, and you look back at the last two years of all the acquiring of revelation that you've put in your pocket, you'll realize that your pockets are bulging. So my brothers, my sisters, how to be a champion for Christ is keep your eyes, Hebrews 12, 2, keep your eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of the faith. Jesus himself, the word of God itself, is the light that will open your eyes up. And it doesn't end there. It's not just about seeing the light. It's about walking in the light. Why is this important? It's important, brothers and sisters, because we live in a world of darkness. And when you walk in the light, things change. Let me end with a testimony. On Friday, I've been preparing, I've been 
praying, I've been doing all, all kinds of things. And on Fridays, now and again, I go and feed the homeless. I go about it with a group of people who, who, um, who join me, spirit-filled. We fed the homeless. We were around Big Ben. And um, no, we were around kind of like uh, Charing Cross area. And they asked me, where shall we go next? And I said, okay, let's go to the, the Big Ben area. I didn't know at the time why, but I just knew that I, we had to. We met a guy called David. David is an addict. He's been homeless for quite some time. The team started praying for him. He heard the gospel. He said, yeah, I, and, and condemnation was so strong. Now, half the team separated. So there was, there was about three people speaking and praying to him. And there was about another four or five people standing away. I was part of the five. So we went back to David because the Holy Spirit said to me, just go back to him and bring everyone. So I was speaking to the Lord. I said, Lord, but why? And he said, he, his family has rejected him. So when all of you guys come and show this love, it's going to be part of what I do. I said, whoa. I didn't tell anyone. I was like, okay, let's see. We go there. He's talking to one of the, one of the ladies who are talking to him, and, and he's, he's hearing it. He wants to give his life, but he's just too condemned. Everyone comes. There's people singing. There's people praying in tongues quietly. And someone ministers to this guy and speaks a word of knowledge and the gospel message into his heart. He wanted to reject it, but he broke. He accepted that irrespective of his addictions that he was going through, irrespective of the situations in life, the homelessness, the rejection of family, he realized in that moment of time, these eight random strangers came and showed him the love of God. And the love of God in action also was communicated with the message of the gospel. And he received it. He gave his life to Christ. He was thanking Jesus. He was crying. He just, he went away. Now I say all of this to tell you this. There are many Davids around us. There are many Goliaths around us. But the bottom line is this whether there's Davids around you and it's God's heart for them to be saved, whether there's Goliaths around you and it's his desire for you to overcome the Goliath, either way, God's will is to show his heart to this whole world and to bless you whilst you do it. Amen?